0: Welcome to Prepare to Care, the ARP podcast with resources and tools to support the millions of family caregivers who provide unpaid care to their loved ones. I'm Marie Pierre, your host for this podcast. People are living longer. In fact, if you're a kindergartner today, you have a 50% chance of living to be 100. But for as much as medicine and technology is advancing to help us live longer and stronger, at some point we all reach our end. So what can we do for our loved one when it's their time to go? How can we make those last few months, weeks, days or moments as pain-free as possible? Today for this important topic we've invited Dr. Nasia Aman, a geriatric specialist at Village Physicians. She's going to tell us about palliative care. What are the options for end-of-life care? What does palliative care mean? And how can we take care of ourselves and our loved ones through this difficult process? Coming up on Prepare to Care. So, Dr. Ahmed, may I call you Nasia? Sure. Okay, Nasia, um, thank you for coming today.
1: Oh, Thank you for inviting me.
0: So, uh, for our listener, here you are. You look absolutely beautiful. You have a big <gasps> smile and you have a palliative. A palliative care physician. What is, I cannot even say the word, what is palliative care? Explain to us.
1: So palliative care essentially is symptom management. A lot of people relate palliative care to hospice, which we do a lot of hospice and end-of-life care, where we manage the symptoms that happen at the end of life. But palliative care physicians also manage symptoms, uh, for example, in oncology patients. So people going through cancer treatments, chemotherapy, um, the side effects of that, are often managed by a palliative care physician.
0: Okay, so palliative care helps with what, like pain?
1: Pain is a big one. Okay. Um, But like I said, symptom management. So symptoms that people have at the end of life or, or during treatment. Sometimes it's shortness of breath. Sometimes it's anxiety or depression trouble sleeping, insomnia, also nausea and vomiting, um, fatigue. So these are all symptoms that are covered by palliative care physicians.
0: I see. So what it really means if somebody has a a really uh, big illness, Mm -hmm. uh, a serious illness, or somebody is at the end of their life, um, there are manifestations of that, that are not really neither the illness nor the end itself, but they are like all the things around it.
1: That is correct. That is correct. And the palliative care physician comes in and they're not necessarily trying to fix the illness. What they're trying to do is improve the patient's quality of life at that moment.
0: I see, so it's really like a very caring approach. Um, Meaning you really accompany the person through their illness and really try to make things better for them is what I'm hearing.
1: Yes, yes.
0: Okay, so tell us about what kind of things do you do to make things better? Let's talk about like a, a common problem.
1: Well, to begin with, pain is a common problem. Okay. So obviously the first thing we always do is there's always medication. Okay, so we do pain medication. But then you have to look at where their pain is. So is it in their joints? Is it in their hands? Um, And what are they doing that causes pain? So if it's hard for them to eat or hold on to things, we have occupational therapists come in and maybe give them Different equipment that forks with larger handles, um, you know, or we'll have them come in and give them You know things to help them change their clothes if they can't move they've just had surgery So we have occupational therapists that can help with pain. There's medication that can help with pain There's physical therapists that can come in. Are you having a lot of, you know, neck pain or back pain? Maybe there's exercises we can do Um, massage therapist there is a lot, you know. They can always help with pain, and then there's always, um, as as ta- as taking care of someone who has palliative needs. You have to c- step back and see, maybe there's something else causing the pain, a spiritual issue. Do we need to have some sort of counseling, or a psychiatrist, an antidepressant, or maybe some spiritual guidance from a pastor or preacher or some of some sort
0: so really as a palliative care physician you're really looking at the whole picture
1: yes we try to look at the whole picture and we really try to focus on quality of life
0: that sounds really nice you know i mean it's like we should have that when we're like not as sick right because that sounds like really nice what you do so um do you get like really attached to your
1: patients you can you okay. can, it's it it's an emotional field to work in, you can.
0: Yeah, because, so in, in palliative care, you say it's not just people at the end of life, it could be it's people not. who are very sick who need help. Like what percentage of your patient, is it like a 50-50 between end of life and people who are just very sick for a period of time?
1: Well, so I'm a little, My population is a little different because I do geriatrics and palliative care. So I tend to have the older population. Okay, And so a lot of mine is our patients at the end of life. At the end of life. Because
0: it's more likely that if they have serious illness, it it may end
1: up. But if I was just pure palliative care, you can even be taking care of 10-year-olds and 11-year-olds who have,
0: you know. Who need help. Who need
1: help, who have congenital diseases, who have, you know, cancer. So it's the whole spectrum.
0: So I want to talk a little bit of, about pain management. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's a, a question that has come up before, is we're very, uh, sometimes we have um, older patients who are mm-hmm. afraid of becoming addicted mm-hmm. you know, to, to pain pills, or we have, um, we have caregivers who are afraid of giving too much pain medicine, mm-hmm. maybe because mom is going to be out of it and not be able to connect or, or because they too are afraid of addiction. Mm-hmm. So what, what would you say to those folks?
1: Well, so if you're managing someone's pain, um, as a physician, you should probably always sit down with the patient and explain a few things. Um, the first thing is, if you're if the medicine is controlling their pain, they're not going to become addicted. Okay. And then number two, if you're, give, if you're giving someone pain medications for their pain, you want to give it on a scheduled basis. So whether, you know... If you first came to me and said, I have a lot of pain and I wrote pain medication for you to take twice a day, I'd want you to take it twice a day whether you had pain or not. And so that, that prevents the addiction from taking place. Um, it also keeps you happier because you always have a little bit in your system. So even if you have a bad day, your pain will be tolerable instead of waking up and taking a whole bunch of pills.
0: So what I'm hearing is really do as the doctor prescribes, yes. right? Because you guys know exactly how this thing works. I even was listening to something, like another article, it's like the different kinds of pain medicines, yes. right? And it depends on the kind of pain it's treating. Like yes. you say, joints versus something else.
1: So there's neuropathic pain, which is that nerve pain, the tingling and burning that diabetics complain about in their feet, or people say the radiating pain from their hips that you get with sciatica, that's neuropathic pain. And then there's the joint pain that people get um, muscle bone Um, a lot of times people have arthritis complaint complaint of that and then there's visceral pain or somatic pain that happens inside like your stomach or in your organs
0: so when do people contact you like is it like at what point is it like they're being referred by another physician or people know it's the right time like when when do people actually get in touch with you?
1: For pain management or for palliative for care? For
0: palliative care.
1: For palliative care, well, I guess, like I said, it depends on the situation. So if you're getting chemotherapy or something cancer-related, then probably the second you start your chemotherapy, you should start your palliative care at the same time. Um, end of life um, is a little bit different, and palliative care is oftentimes serves as a bridge between Uh, uh, you actively getting treatment for your end-of-life issues, but not yet ready for hospice, they usually bridge that with palliative care.
0: I see. So tell us a little bit about the difference, right? So what I'm hearing is there's a period before hospice. Hospice is truly the last few days or weeks of life. No, no, No? that's just what it's
1: become in our country. Okay, so tell us. Sadly. Um, Hospice... um, Any hospice physician, hospice medical director will tell you that they want you in their program for at least six months. Okay. Okay. They want to get to know you, your history. They want their nurses, their staff to know you so they can offer the best care possible as you near the end of life. Okay. Okay, and if, so anyone who has, who is no longer actively getting treatment for their terminal illness, Um, and meets meets certain criteria that they could possibly pass away in six months, is eligible for hospice. But you can continue to be on hospice for two and three and four years at a time as long as you continue to meet these criteria.
0: So what I'm hearing is hospice are people who are in danger at some level. Yes. But they're not necessarily going to die like tomorrow.
1: And we don't want, well, I don't want to say we don't want, that's wrong. We want to help everyone we can. Right. But it's always, it's 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 difficult for patients and families that you have a whole new group of caregivers coming in and, you know, they have to get to know you in a week because, you know, the patient's going to pass away in a week. That shouldn't be your hospice experience. I understand. Um, and essentially palliative care in, in this country started out just with hospice and they've kind of expanded out to oncology and, and other services. But... Um, hospice should be used more in this country. So, what I'm
0: hearing for you, for for your, because you're in, in private practice yes. for palliative care, that the ideal patient for you, or you know, I mean, there's no ideal patient, but. Yeah. Um, because you want that relationship with the patient yes. that ideally, you know, you would meet that patient long before they go in hospice care. Yes. But maybe they have some serious stuff going on yes. as we, you know, people who age, maybe they have an accumulation of like diabetes and arthritis and other mm-hmm. things. It's taking a toll. Mm-hmm. The life is not pleasant. Mm-hmm. That's the time when they should go see you. Yes. Okay. And then you could treat them for literally several years. You could. And, and make them have a more pleasant life yes. until something else happens. Yes.
1: And I have had patients who've been on hospice six months, a year, and then they've actually gotten better. And they said, you know what? I don't think I want to be on hospice anymore.
0: Okay. okay. So so there were stories of like, okay, I'm exiting that program. Yes. I'm, I'm on for another few years. Yeah.
1: So okay. like, you know, maybe not cancer, but p- patients you get for diabetes and heart failure. You know, they're on all these medications and we've, you know, we've kind of reached a point where they're not getting better. A lot of times we put these patients on hospice and as part of the thought process that, you know, of focusing on quality of life and maybe not, you know, saving their kidneys and their heart for the next five years, which is why we start all these medications. We kind of say, okay, you know what? You don't need all these medications. We'll just give you these one or two that help your symptoms and this one that'll keep your blood pressure down. And when we stop a whole bunch of medications, that patient just ends up feeling a little bit better.
0: I see. And so that's really the point where you, you start seeing people. Yeah. So is it that, uh, let's say, you know, mom or dad has some serious illness, mm-hmm. right? Let's say it's rheumatoid arthritis or something. Okay. I'm just throwing names. I don't even know what okay. that means, right? But, okay. but let's make that up. So um, they've been treated for a while. It's not getting any better. And then they kind of give up on that. Mm-hmm. Then they come see you because yes. then you'll make their life better, And maybe it's better for a long time, maybe for not such a long time, but you make their life better. Yes. And then if things turn out not so good, then they can go into hospice at that point. Yes. Yes. Okay, I see. So let's talk a little bit about the, the end of life and the hospice. You said okay. they see people over a period of time. Mm-hmm. And um, I was sharing with you earlier, like when my mother-in-law passed away, we were not even sure, like what mm-hmm. are the physical signs mm-hmm. of somebody who is close, you know? And so um, what would be your, um, your advice with that?
1: So first of all, for a patient going into hospice, um, there are set criteria that have been established. Whether it's for HIV or whether it's for cancer or whether it's for you know emphysema or COPD, there are set criteria that say, okay, if you meet you know these criteria, then you're eligible for hospice. I see. Okay, and so then once those patients are in hospice, like I said, they can stay on hospice for months, for years. Okay, there are certain signs that um, physicians, palliative physicians, look for that say. That we say that the patient has now is actively dying. Okay. Okay, and so, and those are c- pretty much common to all patients, regardless of what disease they have going into hospice. But um, a lot of times the breathing will change, the breathing patterns will change, they'll get a little bit more wheezy or a little, the breath sounds will become more coarse, um, the temperature will get colder when you touch them on their hands. Um, you'll see their toes kind of getting um, a lacy exp- um, kind of look to it because the blood is slowly draining. The circulation right. is, is um, this. So what
0: I'm hearing is there are physical signs are physical at the very signs. end. And, you, and if your physician is seeing this physical sign and is telling you it's approaching, It's probably a good idea to believe that, right? Yes. Okay.
1: Now, that doesn't mean it's going to happen in the next hour. Sometimes people take two or three days to pass away. Sometimes they pass away within an hour. So it's just their physical signs, and it's a process that you kind of have to go through
0: you know you're very soothing I mean you're like okay Maripa, it's a process like we all had a process coming in and there's a process going out yes, right it's very
1: similar and that process. it's very
0: similar yes. and the people around us yes. were here to help with that and help our loved ones with yes. that and that's what the palliative care physicians do they yes. accompany us on that you know okay this is your normal process Yes, interesting so um is there any advice that you would give um, to a family who doesn't quite know, right? Let's say that moment of decision um, where there's been treatment for mom or dad or mm-hmm. whatever, and we're having music in the background here. Um, there's been some treatment, uh, you know, for a, an illness of some kind. We're not sure it's working anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, we're, like, anxious about it. Maybe mom or dad is anxious about it. Like, how do we know to move from active treatment to palliative care?
1: So, like I said, it it's a personal choice. I see. Okay, It has to be a personal choice. It has to be a family decision. Okay. You know, I mean even in a situation of cancer, the normal chemotherapy may not work, then there's experimental chemo, and there's, you know, so you can keep on going, okay, so in a lot of situations, I say palliative care should start with the treatment, like in oncology, Right. but for heart failure, for, you know, emphysema and COPD, um, for, you know, pulmonary fibrosis, some of those things, dialysis is another big one, that At some point, the patient just says, I don't want to do this anymore. Mm. And it's okay when they say, I don't want to do this anymore.
0: Um, I think you you bring a very good point. I mean, I know of someone whose wife was more um, intent on this person going to cancer treatment, Mm -hmm. and then he had to say, I'm done. Yeah. So it's not, but what's comforting to me, during, it's not like somebody waves a, a red flag out there that says, okay, we're giving up on you. No. What I'm hearing is, if you don't want to give up, you can continue for a very long time, all kinds of treatment, and really the idea of getting into the kind of palliative care where you stop active treatment is generally up to the patient.
1: It is up to the patient. There are a few, so there are some scales, there's the palliative performance scale and the Karnofsky scale, and these kind of go through and measure your functional status: Can you get up? Can you change your clothes? Can you feed yourself? Can you, you know, do your household chores? It kind of shows how functional you are. Right. And if you do those scores, a lot of times they'll tell you, well, your score is only at a five out of ten. You know, it's, it's probably time for you to go on to palliative. But that's not, um, that's not a deciding factor. No physician ever says, that's it. You've reached this score. We're not treating you anymore.
0: Thank you for saying that because I think a lot of people think there's some like, uh, I don't know, some hidden board of people who are deciding about your life, right? And that's not no. the case.
1: No, no, it we, sounds there are like no death panels in the There's
0: world. no death panels. There's no <laughs> one deciding to force you to go one way or another. Um, one more question for you. When mom and dad or mom or dad or whatever are not quite in their right mind, mm-hmm. then is it for the family to make that decision?
1: So in that situation, we hope that mom or dad has made, uh, designated a medical power of attorney, or has advanced directives written out saying that when I'm not able to make my decision, this is what I would like and not like done. Um, We're in the state of Texas, so if that hasn't been done, um, spouse comes first, and then children and parents and siblings follow.
0: Okay. So. Well, Nasir, this is all about the, the time that we have for today. If there was One piece of advice that you wanted to give our listeners today, what would that be?
1: Well, I think I would say that both, you know, geriatrics and palliative care, uh, it's a, they're misunderstood fields. And I think we have a lot to offer, both scientifically and treating patients in a holistic manner. And um, for patients getting older, I think it's, um, I would consider, I I recommend people who are getting older to actually consider seeing someone who's boarded in geriatrics or boarded in palliative, um, because they can offer you something different than what an internal medicine physician or a family practitioner can offer.
0: Thank you. And, and speaking about that, if people want to get in touch with you, what's mm-hmm. the best way to get in touch?
1: Well, um, I have a website. Uh, it's villagephysicians.com, or you can just give us a call, 832-930-7877.
0: All right. Well, thank you very much. So today we've spoken with Dr. Nasir Ahmed, a geriatric specialist with Village Physicians, about palliative and end-of-life care. So thank you so much, Dr. Nasir Ahmed.
1: (laughs) Thank you so much for inviting me.
0: As always, if you thought this podcast was helpful, or if you have friends or family who are new to caregiving, invite them to follow the Prepare to Care podcast at iTunes, SoundCloud, or at Houston houstonptc That's Houston houstonptc Take our Prepare to Care podcast survey to help us improve future episodes, or find other caregiving planning and local resources to help you and your loved ones. Thanks for listening, and as always, thanks for caring.